Turn, if you would, tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I don't know about you, but I'm still getting used to these windows. And these are beautiful. Just every time I drive up to the church, I just think, man, why didn't we do this 15 years ago? We didn't have any money 15 years ago, but uh, that would have been one reason. Anyway, you don't seem to care. But uh, we'll just go to the Lord in prayer and we will get started. How about that? Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. And Lord, we are thankful that you are a God who leads and you are a God who guides and directs. And I pray that uh, this evening you would help us to uh, follow your leadership in our personal lives. Lord, there's a good chance that we all need this reminder, uh, whether we would admit it or not. And so I pray that you'd help us tonight to be led by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, if there's anything that our lives would need uh, addressing uh, by way of sin, I pray that you'd help us to be willing to do so tonight. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I think all of you know that for the last several weeks we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians and something that has been made abundantly clear as we have gone through this study is that the believers there in Corinth were not the most spiritually mature people that you could deal with or that you could uh, visit with. We know that for the first four chapters one of the things that the Apostle Paul just addressed over and over again was their division that was present there in the church because they had loyalties given to different spiritual leaders and they felt as though they were justified in doing that. There was a sense of pride in their heart that uh, they were loyal to some and not uh, listening or following the instruction of others. And so that was a sign of their spiritual immaturity. And then we made our way to chapter 5 and we found this to be true of the believers in Corinth, that they were more than willing to overlook the gross immorality of one in their church, the one who had his father's wife, uh, something that the Apostle Paul said would not even be named among the Gentiles or the ungodly or the heathen. And so for them to be willing to put up with such a thing and to turn a blind eye to it or to readily accept it, again, it revealed their immaturity. And so uh, just over and over what it seems like, and as we get further into this study, what it seems like is this is that if a church could mess it up, the Corinthians were willing to. And if they were not already messing it up, they were at least going to give an effort to mess it up. And it's unfortunate, but that is pretty much how the church can be characterized. And so that is what we've looked at to this point. Tonight we're going to move on and look at a few uh, verses. And I, again, hope that this will be a help to us. Tonight I want to begin by asking you a question, all right? You just answer the question in your mind. Don't feel the need to answer it out loud. But the question would be this. How many of us know that we can do something and not even realize we are doing it? Have you ever done something like that? Somebody says, stop that. And you say, stop what? Stop doing that. And you say, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even realize I was doing that. Now, this has happened to me on several occasions, what I'm about to explain to you. It's not anything that I take offense to or, or upsets me or anything. But I've noticed sometimes in teaching Sunday school that, that people who have pens, they tend to play with the pens. They just sit there and they just click them nonstop over and over and over again. They're not trying to be disruptive. They're not trying to, to be distracting to myself or anyone else. And yet they're just doing that nonstop. And, and I promise you, if I said to them, hey, would you stop that? They'd say, stop what? Stop clicking the pen. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was doing that. We do that sometimes, right? 
Have you ever had somebody ask you something like this? Are you mad? No, I'm not mad. What makes you think I'm mad? Well, you got a look on your face that says you're mad. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I wasn't mad. No, I guess I was just thinking about something and I wasn't thinking about my face. So I'm sitting there or you're sitting there and you look angry and you're not angry, but you look that way and not even really thinking about it. It's just something you've done really with no effort or thought involved in that. The illustrations could go on and on, but this evening I want us to think about the spiritual side of that principle. Most of the time, when we're talking about something of a spiritual nature that we do without thinking, usually it's not of a positive sort, it's usually of a negative sort. Because we by nature are sinful beings. You understand this? And so it's not like I just accidentally do good things without thinking about it because I'm such a good person. In my spiritual life, here's what I've discovered, that if I'm going to do good, if I'm going to do right, then I have to do that deliberately. But it is very easy for me to do things in my spiritual life of a negative sort, of a negative nature, and me not even realize I'm doing it. Would you agree with that in your own personal life? Somebody says, well, I don't know. Let me just give you a couple of thoughts and, and then we'll move on. How many of us tonight have ever found ourselves worrying about something? Well, every one of us have at some point. We have found ourselves worrying about something. And here's what I know. None of us woke up that day and said, you know what? I haven't worried lately. I need to be mindful to do that today. But something happens, something triggers, something clicks within our heart, within our mind, and we find ourselves worrying about something, and maybe we didn't even realize we were doing it, or we didn't realize the severity of it, maybe until we had really worked ourselves into an emotional or mental mess. Has it ever happened to you? Maybe something like this has happened to you. You didn't mean to get bitter, but you found you were bitter. You didn't wake up one day and said, I'm too happy and I don't like this. I, I need to get some bitterness and resentment in my life. That's not what happened to you. It's like it kind of snuck up on you. This happened or this happened or this happened. And as a result of all these things happening, you weren't really paying attention to it. You weren't really thinking about it. And so it kind of creeps into your life. And before you know it, before you realize it, you've got bitterness in your heart. And it's robbing you of your joy and your gladness throughout your daily lives. It could be the subject of fear. It could be the subject of anger. We don't mean to be angry people, but it happens sometimes, does it not? It could be the subject of lust. It could be the subject of discontentment. It's not that we want to be discontent in our everyday lives. It's not as though we want to be discontent with what God has provided for us. But if we're not careful, it sneaks into our lives and it creates a mess. And, and again, so many times we're not even aware of it until it's already begun to produce negative things in our life. It, it's one of those things we've recognized it a little too late and, and now it's causing problems for us. In our spiritual lives, we need to 
just think about this principle tonight. In our spiritual lives, we can slip into patterns of behavior or patterns of thought that are not good, that are not right, that are not helpful. And we didn't even mean to do it. But because we are sinful beings, and because we were not careful and on guard like we ought, that has come into our lives, and it's now messing with us, in a, again, in a negative fashion. Now, thinking about that, tonight we're going to be in chapter 6. And as we come to chapter 6, here's what we have to remember. We have to remember the immaturity of the believers at Corinth. Okay? There was nothing really spiritually mature about them. As I said a moment ago, it seems as though everything you can consider about the believers of Corinth Everything, it seems, was wrong and not right. So when we come to chapter 6, here's what we discover. We discover that the believers of Corinth were now suing one another and taking each other to court. All right, so they are suing each other and they are taking each other to a public court of law. And here's what the Apostle Paul is going to have to do. He is going to have to address this now. I don't know if your mind works the way that my mind works, but sometimes whenever I read the Scripture, I want to know more of the details. I want to know what's being said. I want to know why this is being said. I want to know why this is being done. And so whenever I come to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and Paul is writing about how they are taking each other to court, and they are taking each other to, to be judged by the ungodly and things of that nature, I want to know what the court cases are about. But the Scripture doesn't tell us what the court cases are about. And so what that leads us or leaves us to imagine would be this. Is that really, I guess, there was no limit to what the believers in Corinth were willing to take other believers to court for. It could have been a business transaction. It could have been a personal infraction. It could have been some kind of a contract that someone didn't fulfill. I mean, I don't begin to know what it was. I don't begin to know what the issues were. But again, as they were doing this, the Apostle Paul was not impressed with their tendency to take their legal matters before the courts. So notice in verse number 1 what Paul said. He said, Dear, dare any of you having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. So that sets it up for us as to what is happening, as to what is taking place. He said, there are those of you in the church, you have a matter or an issue against someone else, and here's what you're doing. You're going to law or you're going to court before the unjust or before the unsaved and not before the saints or before other Christians to help resolve the dispute. Keep in mind, please, Paul is not disturbed right now with the fact that there were disputes amongst church members. He understood that even amongst believers there could be disputes of different sorts. But the problem with the church members and the believers of Corinth was this. 
that in an effort to resolve these issues, they were going before the unjust, they were going before those who would be outside the body of Christ, rather than to try to resolve the matter privately within the ranks of Christianity or within the ranks of the church. Well, how do we know that Paul was not impressed with this? Well, look in verse number 5. In verse number 5, Paul says this of the whole matter. He said, I speak to your shame. I speak to your shame. What does it mean whenever he says, I speak to your shame? Well, it depends on what position you want to take, but the ideas would be very similar. Some may say something like this, that Paul is saying to the believers of Corinth, you should be embarrassed by this. You should be embarrassed that you are taking all of these matters between yourselves to those who are the unjust, to those who are the unsafe. So some would be of the mindset or be of the opinion that Paul is saying you should be ashamed of yourself. The other thought or the other idea would be this, that Paul is saying this, I'm trying to embarrass you. Have you ever known somebody who did not seem smart enough to be embarrassed for themselves? So you felt as though you needed to try to embarrass them to let them see the the gravity of what it is they're doing? I mean, there have certainly been times in my life I've wanted to embarrass people just so that they could see how silly they looked. Now, I don't know exactly what Paul meant in this, but either way, here's what it reflects. The Apostle Paul makes it clear, I am not impressed with your antics and I am not impressed with your approach to how you are trying to resolve these issues. He says in verse number 5, Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? Is there not someone in the midst of the church? Is there not someone in the midst of the ranks of Christianity there in Corinth? Is there not someone among you that is wise? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. Paul says, isn't there someone within the ranks of Christianity that could address this? Again, Paul is saying this is pathetic, this is, this is so immature, this is ridiculous that this is what you have resorted to. So here is what Paul is saying. He is saying this, there is a right way and a wrong way to resolve the conflict and the manner in which you have approached it is the wrong way to approach it. Again, he's not addressing the fact that there is conflict between the people, but he is addressing how they're going about the resolution of it. So why was it wrong to take their matter to the courts? Why was it wrong to take it to the unjust? Well, notice what he says in verse number 2. He says, Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? What is Paul saying? He's saying this, listen. One day we're going to judge this world. One day we're going to judge this earth. One day, and I don't know exactly what all this means, but he says one day we'll even judge the angels. If we're going to help judge the world, and if we're even going to engage in judging the angels, he says, don't you think we ought to be able to figure out the smallest of matters right now? 
So you've got these two people in the church and they've got an issue. And they've got this conflict and they've got this problem between them. And Paul would say, you ought to be embarrassed. Because rather than resolving this in the church, you're running to the courts. You ought to be able to resolve this amongst yourselves because one day you'll be judging the world and you'll be judging angels. And so notice what he said in verse number 4. If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are, uh, who are least esteemed in the church. He's saying, come on now. He said, if you need a judgment pertaining to something in this life, if there's something going on right now, and you need some kind of a judgment for it, do this. He said, find someone who is least esteemed in the church. Find someone who would be a neutral party in this. Find someone who doesn't have a real preference in the outcome of this. And let them judge this. Stop taking everything to the courts. It's fairly clear, is it not? Quit. I'm trying to embarrass you. You ought to be embarrassed. So notice what he says in verse number 6. But brother goeth to law with brother... And that before the unbelievers. So think about the picture here. Here's unbelievers, and they look at their docket for the day. They look at what will be coming before them. And it's party A and party B, only for the one who will sit as judge over this particular hearing and it's discovered this is a Christian and that's a Christian and you've come to us notice what he said in verse 7 now therefore there is utterly a fault among you he's making this very clear this is not right there is utterly a fault among you because ye go to law one with another. Now Paul is about to ask a couple of questions. I don't like the questions. And I would suspect that the believers in Corinth didn't like the questions. Look there in verse number 7 what Paul said. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and, ye, and defraud, and that your brethren. Notice the question, why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather yourselves to be defrauded? What do those questions mean? What is the Apostle Paul asking? He's asking this. Why don't you just allow yourselves to be wronged? Why don't you just allow yourselves to be cheated? 
why do you have to win this one? Think about those questions. Why is it that you can't let yourself be wronged? Why is it you can't just allow yourself to be cheated on this one? Why do you have to go to court just to win? I don't know about you, but I can answer all three of those questions. I'll tell you why I'm not going to be wronged. Because I'm not letting somebody do that to me and get away with it. You understand how our flesh works, right? The Apostle Paul is saying, why don't you just allow him to do something that wasn't right? <laughs> because did you hear yourself? It wasn't right. Why, why, are, why are you not just allowing them to just teach you and get the best out of this one? Get the best out of you or of you in this one. Because nobody's going to cheat me and get away with it. Why do you have to win this one? Because I'm not going to lose. I'm going to win. You understand how our flesh can understand how the Corinthians would have answered the questions? Every one of us can understand that if we're honest. I'm not going to be wronged because it's wrong. I'm not going to be cheated because they're cheating me. And, and I'm going to win this one because I don't want to lose this one. That's typically how our sinful nature works. Our sinful nature does not typically say, Oh, I've been wrong. Let me turn the other cheek. Oh, I've been wrong. Let me go the extra mile. Oh, I've been cheated. Yeah, you go ahead and take my cloak also. That, that's not how we work. If I've been wronged, I, wanted th I want things to be made right. If someone has cheated me, I want there to be some kind of punishment for that. And, and I want to vindicate that I was right and they were wrong. I want to vindicate myself in this matter. And Paul said, here's your problem. You're not willing to be wronged. You're not willing to be defrauded. No, no. Verse number 8, here's what you do. You do that which is wrong and you defraud and you do it to your brothers and you don't think anything of it. Here are believers. We don't know what the issues are. We don't know what the matters are. We don't know what the, what the lawsuits involve. But people have been wronged and people have been cheated. And Paul is not even addressing that. He's not even dealing with that. But what he is asking them is this. You stand before the unsaved. You stand before the ungodly. This ought to be resolved in private. You ought to be getting someone in the church to address this and get some kind of a judgment for this. But you're not going to let that happen because you're not willing to be wronged and cheated without some kind of a fight. You ought to be embarrassed of yourselves. I'm writing this, I am speaking this to your shame. 
Now, here again is how my mind works. I, I don't know if your mind would work this way. But I was asking myself this question. What produced all this in the church in Corinth? What is it that was making them have these lawsuits and go to court and stand before the law? What was it that produced all this? Well, some may say, well, it was immaturity. And yes, it was spiritual immaturity. But, but to take it even a little step further, what was the problem? Well, the problem would have been this, if you get to the root of it. It would have been their selfishness in all of this. See, here's how they were living their daily lives. Here's how they were going about their, their personal lives separate from their church lives. They were so concerned about themselves, it was such a selfish approach to life that you will not defraud me and you will not do me wrong. And if you do, I am going to do everything I can to win this case and defeat you in the court of law. See, here is the problem that was producing itself in all of these lawsuits. It was their own personal selfishness. Selfishness. Me, 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 or mine, 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 mine. Now, as that is so, here's what I believe. I'm going to extend some grace tonight to the believers of Corinth, and here's what I'm going to say. I believe this happened, for lack of better words, on accident. I don't think the church got together and said, you know what, we've got too good of a testimony, how could we mar this? I don't think the believers in Corinth said, you know, we've got too much unity here in the church. What could we do to really disrupt things? I think what happened in the lives of the believers is this, that as they were spiritually immature and as they were carnally minded in, in so many different ways, that it was just easy and it was natural for selfishness to begin creeping in so much so that here they are marring their testimony before the ungodly and they don't even recognize what their selfishness is doing to them. Their selfishness is marring their testimony. Their selfishness is causing division amongst the church members. Their, their division because of their selfishness is causing all sorts of problems that they ought to be ashamed of, that they ought to be embarrassed by, and yet they're not even recognizing it. Because it's come in, maybe so slowly or so craftily, so subtly that they didn't even realize how their selfishness was affecting them. Now this evening, consider a few thoughts. Ask yourself this question. In the world that we live in today, is it possible that a lawsuit might be unavoidable in our lives? Well, the answer is yes. 
The world we live in, something could happen and we could go to court. We could be forced to go to court. We could get subpoenaed. And, 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 and if that should happen, we're not allowed to say to the one serving the papers, oh, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian. I don't do that court thing. We're not allowed to give that answer under our legal system. You understand that? So, so there may be a time in our life where, where we're involved in some kind of a lawsuit. We have, get, have to give testimony or something of that nature. I mean, even the Apostle Paul knew what it was like to have a day in court. Okay, so the Apostle Paul is not saying under no circumstance do you ever find yourself in a court of law. But what he is saying is this. When it comes to Christians, this really should not be something that is a, a part of our daily lives. All right, this, this is not something that we should resort to. It should not be a part of our mindset, a, mar, a part of our thinking, that, that I'm going to sue this one, or I'm going to sue this one, or I'm going to sue this one. That is not what our mentality should be. Our mentality should be something like this, that as a Christian, I am willing to be wronged even though that's not what I particularly want. And I am willing to be defrauded even though I don't think it's right. And it should be that as a Christian, our mindset would be something like this. I don't have to win every battle that presents itself to me. That should be our mindset. But see, here's our problem. We struggle with selfishness. Now, I'll, I'll give you time to process that and admit it, okay? We struggle with selfishness. And because of our struggle with selfishness, what do we want to do? We want to do the very things that I just said a moment ago. We want to be made right, or we want to have those things made right that have been done wrong to us. We want to, to be re, uh, uh, reimbursed, so to speak, if we've been cheated, or, or we want things to be made right if we've been defrauded. We want to win. See, we do that because we're selfish. We're selfish. Now, we may sit here this evening and say something like this. Well, I mean, Brother Kyle, I, I, don't, I don't do that court thing. I mean, I've never sued anyone. I've never been sued. I've never gone to court. I've never taken, never taken someone to court. I mean, Brother Kyle, that's, that's, not, that's not who I am. Maybe not legally, but we can be personally and we can be privately. So I don't know what you mean. I mean this, fighting our own little battles on a regular basis, motivated out of selfishness, because I won't be wronged and I won't be defrauded and I'm not going to lose this one. You know what I mean? Ah, oh, Brother Kyle, I don't know what you mean. Okay, good. I, I've got a couple of examples for us. Was there conflict between the members of the body and Corinth? There was conflict. You, you should be able to shake your head yes on that one. Okay, yes, there was conflict among the body of believers there in Corinth because of certain differences. I know that this may seem a little bit redundant and it may seem like it's unnecessary to, to address, but I bet it's more relevant than we think. But how many times do we have conflict in the home? 
because we're not going to lose this one. <laughs> it was not Thursday, it was Wednesday. I thought we did it Thursday. No, we did it Wednesday. Don't you remember? This, 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 and this. Okay, already. I thought it was Wednesday. I'm sorry. <laughs> Man, he doesn't remember anything. Why? Hold on. Why do we argue about that? Selfishness. I'm going to win this one. You wronged me. What did I do? You said such and such. It's not what I said. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. And before long, what do you have? You have conflict. I understand that we're not standing before a judge. I understand that we haven't served the, the spouse papers. But what are we doing? We are now engaging in this ridiculous conflict because you are not going to wrong me. What is wrong with us that we can't allow ourselves to be wronged sometimes? Are we listening to this? How many times in our marriages do we have stupid conflict? We have ridiculous conflict because I will not be wronged. You are not going to take advantage of this situation. I'll not lose this one. I will prove you wrong. Either from the man or the woman or the parent or the child or the brother or the sister. You know where all that comes from? It comes from pure selfishness. We need to keep our mouth shut, but we're not going to. We need to swallow our pride, but we're not going to gulp. We need to just listen. We need to sit back and say nothing. But no, we're going to go ahead and say it. That is nothing but selfishness. And we can sit here and we can smile and we can laugh because we know that those arguments take place in every house. But do you realize how immature that makes us sound? Because at the end of the day, what does it matter what day it happened? What difference does it make if it was $100 or $110? You understand the principle of this? But my selfishness will not let me lose this argument. How many times is there conflict at work? Because we're not going to be wronged or defrauded in this matter, or we're not going to lose this one. That is not what you said. That's exactly what I said. That is not at all what you said. No, you said this is exactly what you said. Why do we have to defend ourselves every time something comes up at work? It's that sinful old flesh of selfishness. It can happen in church. It can happen with our friends. It can happen with complete strangers. We're not going to lose this one. We will fight 
to win. Because it's all about us. Now here's the thing about the selfishness that I've just described, and I hope that you understand this, and I trust that you do because it's not real deep. Here's the thing about selfishness. Usually we do it without even noticing it at the time. Would you agree? Never have I looked at Susie and thought, we haven't had a good one in a while. I'm just going to be selfish right now and see what kind of a fight I can start. If that is the way you think, you're messed up in the head. But see, that's not how most of us think. And so we don't mean to be selfish, but it just happens kind of like fear or anxiety or discontentment or worry or whatever it may be. It just happens. And then it's like after the mess, we realize, man, that was stupid. Why did I make such a big deal out of that? The selfishness comes in so quickly and many times so unrecognizably that many times we don't even notice it until it's already too late. And now we've got the conflict and now we've got the problems and now we've got the the issues that have to be addressed because we weren't going to lose that one. So here's what I'd like to close with. I do not have to intentionally pursue selfishness. That comes natural. What I have to be mindful of and what I have to be on guard for is this. Hey, don't be selfish. It's not that big of a deal. If they want to think that's how it happened, they can think that. And they can be wrong, but I don't have to argue. We can still think we're right, and they can still think they're right, and and we don't have to argue. But we have to be on guard against that. And if they want to do that, and if they want to think they're getting the best of me, if they want to think they're taking advantage of me, they may be. But if I'll just do what's right, listen, I bet somehow God will take care of that, but, but I sure don't want to lose my testimony over that. We've got to guard against that. We've got to guard against this attitude of I have to win because truth be told, we don't have to win. Sometimes we can let the other person think they have won and in our heart of hearts we can know that we have won because we are letting God address it and take care of it and not us. But I promise us, If we don't think about it, we will slip into selfishness so fast we won't even notice it. And we'll have conflict and we'll not recognize it until it's too late. Now, I don't know about you. I want to avoid that kind of a situation. I'll only avoid it if I think about it and work toward thwarting it not letting it happen in my daily life. All right? Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight to just look at the example of the believers there in Corinth and what they were dealing with. 
God, their own personal selfishness and what it was doing to their testimony, what it was doing to their relationships. God, I pray that you'd help us tonight to recognize whether it be in a legal setting or whether it be just in a private, personal setting, that whenever we allow selfishness to creep into our lives, it always causes problems, and we need to guard against it. I pray that you'd bless now the invitation. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.